Okay, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, starting at verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask God's help to understand this word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word to us, and we do pray that we would see marvelous things in it and that you would speak to us what we need to hear about what we do each and every week as a church. So yes, may you work powerfully through this word and by your spirit and even through my word. Thank you for the offerings that we can give to you, and we pray that you would now bless us with this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just remind us all about our church's vision, which is to grow and connect gospel-proclaiming communities in Stanford and in the surrounding regions. Our vision is to grow and connect gospel-proclaiming communities in Stanford and the surrounding region. And we're doing that in big ways and little ways. We're growing and we're connecting in terms of partnerships in big ways with Greenwich, our partnership there, and then with New Haven, and then in the future, Norwalk as well. In little ways, we're forming um, many communities. What do they call life groups throughout the week where we um, gather together as um, a little family of God trying to care for one another. And it all feeds into today, the big Sunday corporate gathering for worship, right? In 2023, we're discovering what it means to be the church. That's why we've been looking um, at our different passages at trying to ask the question, what is the church? We're the body of the risen and ascended King Jesus. He brings us to the Father for worship. And he reaches out into the world, and he does that through us, his chosen children. So as we get our understanding of church coordinated now with the ascended Jesus, right? We're learning what it means to function as the body of Christ. And our goal is to grow in maturity. and confidence as the church. And for that, we're not only going to answer the question, what is the church? We're going to be going through five distinct marks of what the church is. 
If you're looking at the sermon outline, there is a diagram. That's the diagram that we're going to be working through each week. And to focus in on certain aspects of what it means to be the church, one big question, um, I mean, it is a big question. So one way that we're going to do that in 2023 is to grow spiritually by growing relationally. That's our uh, theme for the year. It was mentioned at the annual meeting end of January, and it bears repeating. We're going to grow spiritually, and it's by growing relationally. Because uh, we have access to power through Jesus, fulfilling the new covenant promises. That's what we learned last week. So we can be confident in faith and confident to grow spiritually together, relationally as a church. And that brings us to our topic for today. We're going to think about God's presence. What does it mean to experience God's presence? Sounds like it's got to be something extraordinary. Tingling feelings, a warm sensation, you know, a warming of your heart, blinding bright light. What does it mean to experience God's presence? Is it something like revival, like what I mentioned in the beginning of the service? What's going on in Kentucky at Asbury Christian College? Reports are saying that God is present there in powerful ways. Well, it's also good to know that the transcendent God could be present in more ordinary ways as well, everyday ways. And we need to know that because otherwise we're going to be thinking, am I missing out? How can we know what an experience of God's presence is like? So um, to answer that question, how about we don't start with what people are saying and what they're experiencing, but let's start with what God says and how he has revealed himself of how he was going to be present and manifest to his people. It's a good start, right? Starting with God and his word. And based on that question, um, God has given us a clear answer for what it means to be in God's presence. It means it's God's presence is experienced in the temple. Now, how does that help us? Because there's no more physical temple. The New Testament, though, continues to use the language of temple, obviously with, modifi with modification in a transformed way. And so the temple is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. And the temple is symbolizing God's presence. So we need to understand what the temple is really like uh, because it is foundational for us and because God's word always was accompanied by his presence, right, his living presence. It was never just word alone just speaking to the mind. No, it was God's presence because he's in, engaging in a living relationship with us because he's the living God, right? So the categories the scripture gives us that we're working with are covenant. We looked at that last week, his word and temple presence. Word and presence, truth and life, the living word, okay? And as we learn about God's presence, our aim is to be empowered, to be blessed, to know that we are the presence of the ascended King Jesus. That's how close we are with God. He's brought us near. And he's brought us near so that we can now then come near to the world with Jesus. Okay? And this is the thought that I want us to leave us with. We are brought near to Christ 
so that through us, Christ can draw near to Stanford. Okay? So with that, our passage in Ephesians, Paul is writing to um, the Ephesian church. It's made up of Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, and they're thinking all sorts of weird things about spirituality and how to connect with God and how to be in his presence. And so Paul has to then just bring it all back together. How do we experience God's presence? First point, first recognize that people were far off. Ephesians 2 verse 11 Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called this uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was a time when Gentiles could not be in God's presence. And what's really fascinating is that Paul says the Gentiles, they were far off from God. No, what he says is they were far off from Christ. You were separated from Christ. And what's fascinating about that is because Paul is thinking about these Old Testament Gentiles, how they were separated from Christ, even though Jesus hadn't yet appeared. Right? Paul saying that you Gentiles, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, clearly separated from God, and, but also clearly Old Testament. But Paul says they were separated from Christ. We'll answer why that is the case, but let's first understand what it means to be separated and what it means to be near God, right? Um, in the Old Testament, God made it clear where he was going to be and who he was going to be with, and how you could be in his presence. God only revealed himself to Israel, not to the rest of the world. Heaven would come down to earth, and God would be dwelling where? In the temple in Jerusalem. Because he is a living God, and he had a real committed covenantal relationship with his people. God's presence was mediated through these ways. And it was never direct. God never like, appeared directly to man because man could not stand God's holy presence and live. Right? That's what we saw with Moses. God had to mediate his presence to Moses, not just through his word, but also like putting Moses in the cleft of the rock. And he let his glory pass by. Right? And God, he showed up not just to Moses, but he showed up to the whole nation of Israel at the feasts, the holy feasts. Israel had to be privileged of being able to draw near to God at the temple during the high holiday feasts. Pilgrimages would be made. Everyone would send, come to the center of um, their faith at the, at, at the temple in Jerusalem. People would travel and journey. And as they get near to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was on a hill. Um, it, was Mount, it was called Mount Zion, right? And as they would travel towards Jerusalem, they would look up and they would see the temple. And it would be in the skies and you would see the clouds and it would start to look like heaven. And it was so meaningful, this approach, that they wrote the songs of ascents in the Psalms so that it would accompany their journey of, to God's presence. They couldn't wait to be with God in his presence. Once a year, on a particular holiday, Yom Kippur, God would come down in a visible way in the glory cloud, and it would shroud the most holy place in the center of the temple there. 
That was the Day of Atonement, when God allowed a high priest, a representative of the nation of Israel, to enter into that most holy place only one, time, one, one day a year. You know, the priest had bells on his robe as he would enter in because that's how you knew he was alive. You would hear the bells ringling, ringing, right? And legend has it that the high priest also had a rope tied around his ankle just in case that he did something that was unauthorized, something unholy in God's holy presence. He would be killed. No one else could go in to retrieve the body, so they had to drag his body out. Be that as it may, God established real, striking, palpable ways uh, of conveying his presence amongst his people. One could draw near, but not too near, because God was so holy. And being in God's presence was never simple or um, easy, but very serious and deadly. You enter the temple, even just the outer courts, death was always looming. Sacrifices were constantly being made. Blood was splattered. Smell, the smell of burnt flesh on the altar. You were always reminded of death because of the animals being slaughtered. That was the cost of making atonement for sin against God. That's what you needed to do, make atonement to be in his presence. Now, it's clear that in the Old Testament, the Gentiles, they were separated from God and from all of that worship. Sure, they had a, a court of the Gentiles. That was the outer court there. But that was as far as they could go. But how were they separated from Christ? Christ was not in the Old Testament. Was he? He was, but he wasn't. Yes and no. God's plan of redemption was always to be reunited with his people. And it was always going to be through Christ. So Jesus was never God's plan B. He was the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And that meant that everything in the Old Testament, from priest to sacrifice to temple, they were these were all just shadows of the ultimate plan to have his people through Christ. All these elements of worship, priest, temple, um, sacrifices, all pointed to the person of Jesus. Christ, the butterfly in the New Testament, you can say, was he appeared in the Old Testament as a caterpillar in a different form. And there was a time when these Gentiles, they had no access to God, to the promises, the, to the graces of the Old Covenant. That's why Paul says they had no hope and no God in the world. Of course, the only hope that they had was that God knew who his elect children were whether they'd be Old Testament God-fearers or Gentiles who would come to know and meet Jesus. But in this way, Paul could say the Gentiles were separated from Christ, knowing that when Christ appeared, they would no longer be separated. Okay? But even all of this, talking about all this Old Testament stuff as shadows, I mean, this was like really in your face. It was powerful experiences but Paul says all those things are just shadows because there was something more to come. It was all temporary, everything in the old covenant. The temple was better than the cloth tabernacle, the tent of meeting that we read about again. Um, but even the glorious temple was inadequate to house God. This way it was temporary. Why? Why was it all temporary? 
because it was destructible. The temple was destructible. The Babylonians came in, the Greeks came in, um, the Romans came in, they all destroyed the temple. And if the temple was really supposed to be something permanent, then that would make God look pretty pathetic, wouldn't it? Even today, in the present, there's constant fighting over the land, tremendous bloodshed and um, devastation. Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, he was basically saying it was never about the land and never about that scrap heap that's remaining today. Is that how we want to acknowledge God's presence, the western wall that's remaining that everyone prays to? That's all you have left. No, God is far bigger than that. God was always going to be present to his people in a far greater way than a man-made and man-destroyable temple. So that's how an Old Testament Jew would come near through this temporary means. Gentiles, they had no access to any of that. But they were brought near. How? Verse 13, 213. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ, right? When Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood. What happened? The temple curtain, it tore in two. That temple curtain was the one that enclosed and kept everyone out of God's most holy place. That temple curtain tearing meant that the way was now open. People could enter into God's most holy place, and it was a very helpful visual. And it was all because of Jesus. He was a far better sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus rose from the dead, and he ascended to heaven. He, and so it's said of Jesus, verse, Hebrews 7, 16 says this of Jesus, who's our high priest, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Jesus would now be the temple. You want to meet God? You want to be in his presence? Come to Jesus by faith. So being in God's presence was such a sure and real thing through Christ, that is, that Paul would say that Jesus has created a new humanity, a new family, and a new family that lives together in a new house. That's how certain you can be of being in God's presence. What does he say in verse 14, Ephesians 2, 14? For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. How would anyone be brought into God's presence now? The old would have to go, starting with the temple. That dividing wall of hostility, that curtain that kept everyone out, that was now broken down, torn, in fact, that's probably a better way to understand the tearing of the temple curtain. It's, that, it's not that access to God was made available, which is true, but really this old way of approaching God through worship and animal sacrifices, that was now done away with. Okay, just think about you have a lot of student loans. And you finally paid them all off, right? You're going to get a letter saying, um, your, your IOU has been paid in full. What are you going to do with that letter? Some people might frame it, but no, you're going to tear it up because you don't want to have anything to do with that anymore, right? 
Done. That's the old covenant. All the Old Testament laws prescribing temple worship, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, done away with, there would be a new kind of temple. It was, and it would be starting with a new humanity. It wasn't just a building. It was a, always a people. In the beginning, God created man, but then man sinned and was separated from God. But now in Jesus, he has rescued and recreated man, a new man to be united with God in, on right terms. A new humanity was created through Gentile and Jew. That's why Paul would write Ephesians 2.17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews. A new humanity that would be in a right relationship with God in his presence, at peace. It's a powerful peace. It would, in fact, it is a double peace that believers would experience. Not only were they right with God, they could stand right there in God's holy presence through Christ. There was a peace that was like nothing else, more than a feeling, justified, made right, but that peace was also horizontal. The law of God, which separated Jew and Gentile, that was now fulfilled, thereby no longer were the two apart, but now could be brought together, all by faith union in Christ. As his body, the way to meet God, be in his presence, peace with God, peace with one another. That's a new humanity. They'd be described as a new family living under the same roof. Look at 2.18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You belong to Christ. You're a new man. You belong to a new family by adoption, and you have a new house. The dwelling place with God. That's your new house. The new temple we're being built up in Christ. Gentiles now brought in. They would be the temple, part of the temple. You know, salvation is never a, a me and God thing. It starts that way, but it cannot remain that way. It has to grow where we all start to understand how we fit into God's plan of salvation. It's being part of this new temple, the church. That brings us to our final point, which is really application for us, dwelling together. How the application, two things, we work with Christ and we have Christ work on us. We work with Christ and we have Christ work on us. How do we experience the presence of God? God would be present to his people through faith in Christ and we would be the body of Christ the church. And Paul is saying all of this based on what he has said previously, which we looked at, which is that Jesus is the ascended king. He's not here on earth. He's in heaven, but spiritually, he is here on earth, and he is continuing to do his work. How? Through us, his body. He's doing the work, and we're joining with him in that work. We work with Christ. 
So just think about when you read the Gospels. Many of us in life groups are reading Matthew, going through Matthew together. We're reading about Jesus. He's going through different towns and cities. He's interacting with different kinds of people. You know what? Jesus is just continuing to do that work, but now he's doing it through his body. And anyone living in Israel at that time of Jesus, right? how did they um, get saved? They would hear about Jesus, and they would actually come to Jesus. Somehow they would have an interaction, wouldn't they? Sometimes Jesus goes to them, and sometimes they come to Jesus. And so for us today, if people want to have an experience of God, his presence, it's by us being the church and people coming to us, or sometimes we going to them. You thought it was all about us as individuals and how persuasive we could be in our apologetics and our evangelism to convert people. No, it's in the power of the body of Christ, that anyone encounters God. We, the body of Christ, we are God's missionary strategy to the world. We, we can send out different missionaries, but us, just by being the church, that's Christ working in the world, here in Stanford. He's doing it through us. So just think about these Old Testament categories of temple. Imagine you were an Old Testament Jew, you had a Gentile neighbor friend, you wanted them to meet God and be saved because they were such nice people. But you could only bring them to the outer courts. But now you can say, hey, keep walking with me. You hold their hand. And you bring them right through the outer courts into the inner courts of the, of, of the uh, males and then right into the holy place and then into the most holy place. You bring them right in there. And that's by showing them and introducing to them Jesus. So we need to reclaim our confidence as the church, okay? Because um, God, Christ is doing a work, and we're doing it with him. And so we're to tell people, hey, we do all these things here in our worship service. Some people are going to say, oh, that's like a Roman Catholic church. You tell them, no, this is not a Roman Catholic church, even though we do a lot of repeated ritual things. We say a lot of things together, and we do the Lord's Supper every week, Right? And just like that, as along with them, we tell people there is power in all the things that we're doing. And so we have to tell that to our evangelical friends, friend, um, the evangelicals who have, you know, a lot of them have experienced church to be boring, just doing all these ritualistic, repeated things. And so they, they don't do any of that stuff anymore, anymore. But no, we're saying we can be excited about all the things that we're taking part in, our liturgy, where we experience God's presence through Christ and experience his grace. That's why for us there's no better way to follow up hearing God's words and taking part in the Lord's Supper. We're being reminded, we're being strengthened that indeed we are in God's presence in communion with him. That's how we need to be taught, reminded, and built up to be that holy temple in the Lord through word and sacrament. And as we grow in that kind of conviction and confidence that we are the missionary strategy as the, the body of the ascended Christ, know that Stanford needs us to be here. Why? Because Jesus is at work. And he's at work through us. Some of you may be here today. Today may be the moment where you encounter Jesus spiritually by faith for the first time. Maybe you do know Jesus. Will today be the day where you're renewed in your faith, 
relationship with him where you're saying, yes, I belong to this body, and you have confidence in the church. We work with Christ. That's our first application. Secondly, Christ works on us. All of our worship, as we dwell in the presence of the Lord, what is all that meant to do for us, really? Yes, we're meant to go out on mission. We're to be the church. But not only that, we're to grow in holiness. How? By being at peace with one another. That's what the direct application of today's passage is for us. Some folks, they want a supernatural experience to be convinced that, they, that God is working in their lives. But just as supernatural would be the ordinary reading of this word to the point we believe it and we urgently feel like we need to live it out, seeking peace. It starts with us as a local body. Can you all say that you are at peace with one another? Could there be a wall of hostility that you have built up that God, that Christ has destroyed? You know, forget thinking about changing the other person. The kind of miracle that we all can experience is God changing us to the point where we're growing at peace with the church and someone in it. You know, the bending of your will, that is like a powerful proof that God is present and at work where he bends your will so that you would start to recognize I need to reconcile I need to grow I need to understand what true peace looks like where we experience the power of the cross where all the hostility was killed now I say all this because um, I actually think our church is relatively peaceful, peaceful thank God there's no scandal, there's no strife, but I also don't know what's going on in everyone's hearts. I don't know every interaction and every relationship, what it's like. Maybe there are tensions, and maybe there are opportunities to embrace faith, have it pressed into us to say, I believe that we are the holy temple of God, and that means I need to be at peace with one another. I press this for several reasons. Not because I know of any strife, but because it's the application of the passage. But also, you know, the Ephesian church, that's what they were told. And it's because they needed to hear this word. And it sounds like they struggled to receive this word. How do I know all this? What do we read about them later on in the book of Revelation? You know, Ephesians is like the most prominently featured church in the New Testament. They have the book of Ephesians, 1 Timothy. It's all about Timothy taking care of the church in Ephesus. And then in Revelation, it pops up again there as well. What do we read? Revelation 2.1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The church was commended for so much. They were doctrinally pure. They were patient in endurance, but they had a cold heart. 
the heart couldn't have been cold towards God because they were sacrificing, they were enduring, they were fighting for him. How did they lose their first love? Well, they couldn't be at peace with one another. They couldn't love each other well. And to, you know, the categories that we're thinking with, maybe they were strong on covenant, the word, the teaching, but they were weak on temple presence, the being, the living together. And let me remind us again of our ministry theme for the year, right? We're going to grow spiritually, how? By growing relationally, by learning to experience peace with God and peace with one another, being built up into the holy temple of the Lord. Only God's presence can move our hearts and our willful resistance. Perhaps it's hurting, perhaps it's scarred, perhaps you're afraid, but for whatever reason, if we can't move towards one another in peace, only God's presence can do that to move us to reconciliation and love. So if you want chills to run down your spine because you want an experience of God's holy presence, <laughs> submit yourself to humbly love and care for those you struggle with. That'll be an experience. It's like trying to open a super tight lid on a container. You're working at it. You say you're the only one who can open it. You can't pass it on to anyone else. So you're working, 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 sweating, straining. Will you apply that kind of effort and force on your heart towards others? As you do that, sweats and chills, might, you might experience, you might feel all those things. Just know that that is God's presence with you. So that's how we experience the presence of God. It's always mediated. It's never a direct thing. It's always through his word and his people by the spirit. It's like an acquired taste. You have to like develop, learn how to appreciate how God's presence is experienced. As in all of Paul's letters, like for example, his letter to the Corinthians, he had to write to them about spiritual gifts. All Paul's letters, he's moving us away from individualistic comforts and experiences to the corporate experience of God as the body of the ascended King Jesus. Let's pray that we experience it more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word to us and thank you for your plan of salvation that it would be through your son, the Lord Jesus and his body, the church, us as that local expression. We pray that we would embrace this identity. We would take it on and we would live it out. We would be confident in our gathering, our Sunday worship and in the liturgy. We would not be ashamed or embarrassed about it, but we would confidently tell people about the power that can be experienced, the grace that they can know. We pray that we would also be confident in our togetherness as a church to be on mission, to be here in Stanford and even to reach out to people and invite them in. And we also pray that we would be confident in growing as the body of Christ, where we would learn what it means to be at peace with one another, beyond just being nice and respectful and polite. We do pray that your presence would be with us so we would experience your peace in deeper and more meaningful ways. That you may be glorified, that we may work with you. In Jesus' name, amen.